Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Afhema Bez at the bottom, four lines from the bottom at the Mishnah. Minamodi'im ulifnim, ne'amonim aplicheres. Modim is a city, Rashi says. Modim shem krach rochok mushalim tesvav mil, so it's 15 mil from Jerusalem. About 15 miles. Kedemrim b'seches p'sachim. Roman miles close to a mile, a little bit less. Mimeno lefnim b'tzad yushalayim ne'amonin kadarim. So, from the city of Modi'in and inwards towards Jerusalem, those that trade in earthenware were ameha aretz, are beliefs. They're believed that their wares are in a state of ritual purity. For the purposes of buying their fine earthenware, smaller pieces, like pots, cups, jugs. This is a concession to the reality that people need these types of vessels and the broader picture is that the Rabbonon made a decree a whole number of decrees geared at requiring Chaveirim requiring Bnei Torah to a higher standard in various ways among those decrees is to consider the earthenware vessels of Amearitz, of those who are ignorant, ignoramuses. Such a person is not expected to be meticulous in the laws, very complex laws, intricate laws of Tumas and Taras, ritual purity. So generally speaking, they are presumed to be in a state of impurity, as are their vessels. On the other hand, these vessels, these types of earthenware vessels, are a reality that people need to attain to get on with their life. They need these vessels. And not always are they available to purchase from a kadar, an earthenware merchant who is a chaver. And Therefore, in Gozring Zera al Tzibur, Shi'i Efshar, Lohem, the Bach says, Debi because in Jerusalem, Enos and Kivshanos. So this decree, the general decree, is relaxed in the context of Jerusalem and until Modi'in, because there's another decree that one is not allowed to run a kiln in Jerusalem, because a kiln generates smoke, and Jerusalem is a beautiful city. So there's a decree not to have smoke from kilns. It's not meant to be an industrial center.
So people need to buy these wares in Jerusalem. If they're not going to have a way to purchase them, so it would be a decree that the tzibur cannot sustain. People can get on with their lives, with their needs. They can't get the vessels they need. They can't make them themselves. They're going to have to do import. They're relying on the Aretz. So this decree to view the earthenware vessels of ignorant merchants of these types of wares, these earthenware vessels, as pure, in spite of the fact that normally they're rabbinically considered impure, is in recognition of the challenges that would otherwise be made. It would be not feasible for the community to uphold such decree. You can't purchase it, you can't make it. How are you supposed to make make do without these vessels? People need them to live. So therefore, within Jerusalem and Modi'in is 15 mil from Jerusalem. With this radius, it seems like, perhaps Rashi is saying it's 15 mil and Modi'in is an example of that. Perhaps not, though. The Tepersh Yisrael says Modi'in was a major commercial center from where these wares were purchased. Well, what exactly the parameters were, where they had the stringency and where they relaxed it, was it the entire 15-mile radius around Jerusalem, or specifically Modi'in, and Jerusalem. The general idea is clear, though, that the broad restriction of treating Ame'aretz, their vessels, as impure, was relaxed for purchasing from an Amaretz, who's a Kadar, he's engaging in his merchandise, selling them, and within the area of Jerusalem, Til Modi'in, so he's upgraded to the status of being believed, meaning that, like the Torah says, the Torah says he's believed. He's presumed to be telling the truth. If he says that it's Tahar, we believe him. The rabbinic restriction to suspect that perhaps it's not pure, that is relaxed in this case. Exactly what the parameters we're going to see. So from Modi'in and beyond in the rest of Israel, they are not believed. That is where you have the general restriction where the Ame'aretz are considered tmeim, ritually impure, their vessels are ritually impure. Rabbinically, they are not to be believed. So that begins from Modi'in and out. Keitzad, how does this play out? Keizitzad. This kader selling kaderos. If he's entering in from Odin, who the kader, the hein, the kaderos, the hein halokhim, naamon. So there is naamonus, there is trustworthiness. But, Yotza Einemon, going out, 
leaving from Modi'in outward, there is no Namaz. It is like the rest of Israel, where there is this rabbinic decree viewing a Kader, who is an Amaretz, like any other Amaretz, with the same restrictions. It's because of the economic needs that this restriction is re reduced in Yerushalayim and up until Modi'im. But once the Kader is going out, leaving Modi'im further to the rest of Israel, away from Jerusalem, the other direction. So it's already like anywhere else. Let's see Rashi. Hu HaKader Mi Shevian Chutz Modi'im The one who brought these vessels, Mi Chutz, the Gillian says, from outside to Modi'im, Eminu, then he's believed. Because it's not possible. Again, this concern that the decree would not be manageable. That's only he himself who's bringing in these vessels. So in order to encourage and ensure there'd be enough supply of these earthen vessels. So there's a dispensation, they're believed, but not if this merchant is just a wholesaler in the middle, then not. Whether it's a wholesaler in Modim or even further in, that they didn't go that, that far in the leniency. The, the, the trust that they placed in these people even rabbinically, it was limited to the Kadar himself. He says it's Tahar. You can rely on it if he's bringing it from the rest of Israel into this location close to Jerusalem, Modin. But not if there are more parties involved. The Hay and Hakaderos, and they, the Pats, Alos Nakadero Shehevi, who Aminu. For those paths that he brought, he is believed. But this does not extend to one who is engaging in this trade of earthenware vessels, whose shop is set up in Modim. If he mixes them in with another Kadar, who is an Amaretz, so it does not apply. It's similar to if he's introducing a wholesaler in the middle and that reduces the believability, the trustworthiness, if he says it's top. The hein halokhin, and those who purchase, chaverim, those that are of meticulous status, chaverim, shera'uhu shehvion, namon kader etzlon. So they saw this merchant bring these vessels, so then they should trust when he says it's tahar, that it's pure, that they can rely on that, purchase them, use them for a state of purity. But not others. A very limited degree of added believability. This is a, a partial dispensation release of the normal restriction against Amaharetz to the extent that they felt the Chachamim felt necessary in order to ensure people had adequate 
earthenware vessels available. If he left from Modi'in to, to return, he's not trusted. That's the Mishnah. Says the Gemara. Tana. Modi'in pamim klifim pamim kalachots. Modi'im itself sometimes is like within the radius towards Jerusalem with leniencies, and sometimes it's like outside with stringencies. Ketzad. How does this work? Kadar yotze, v'chaver nechmas, kilifnin. If the earthenware merchant is leaving Modi'in, and at the same time he meets up with a chaver who has these restrictions, he has to be extra careful rabbinically. So he is on the way in. So that has the status of lifnim. That is the status of being within the area of Jerusalem, including Modin, with a leniency. And he's permitted to buy from him and trust him when he says it's ritually pure. Rashi, Modim Akrach Atmo, the city itself, Pamim Kilifnim, Kulukada Yotze, Nafnim, Minamodim, Nichnas, Modim. So the merchant is coming from Modim, from in, within the area. The Chaver Ba Mechutz, Modim, and the Chaver is entering in Modim, coming from outside of Modim, meaning from beyond the 15 mil radius around Jerusalem, so he's coming from further away from Jerusalem. He's entering into Modin. In that circumstance, when they intersect there at Modin, it has the status of within the radius, with the leniency. And it's permitted to purchase from him. Again, this is the recognition of the challenges of getting adequate earthenware vessels for Chaverim. It's hard to get adequate amounts in Yerushalayim. Can't make them. So this guy, he's selling them. He's not going back. He's on his way out. If he's not going to buy it now, when's he going to have an opportunity to buy these vessels? So the Kader is on his way out and the Chaver is on the way in. Out, meaning the Kadr is on his way out towards greater Israel, away from Jerusalem. Chavar is on his way in towards Modim, towards Jerusalem. So the Chavar is, is allowed to buy from the Kadr these Klecheres this, in this circumstance. However, if both of them are on the way out, or both on the way in, then it has a status of kilachutz. Then Moadim itself is treated like the rest of Israel with a normal stringency restricting a chaver from purchasing this earthenware vessels from a kadar ama'aretz. Rashi, shnei nechnasim, mechutzim If both of them are entering in from beyond Moadim, ubo besov hakrach, and they enter into the vessel, they enter into this city, it's still considered like outside of Modim. 
Lifnei. Rather, they they should wait. The Chaber should wait to trade, to, to buy this, these products that he's looking for, these earthenware vessels, wait to buy until he's further in the interior towards Jerusalem. V'chein, tap of Chafav Meralaf, Shneim Yotzin, they're both leaving Modi'in, they're not coming in towards Jerusalem, but going out towards the rest of Israel. Ho'el, Umotzulifnim, since they were originally going together in the interior closer to Yerushalayim, Vishamu Lakachimeno, and the Chaber did not take the opportunity to buy from him earlier, Loikacho, too, too late, he misses opportunity. Once he hits Modin, they're going together, he hits Modin. It's Kalachutz, it's like outside of Yerushalayim. And Modin itself is where the stringency begins in such a case. So it's a double standard. Modin is not just a border. It's not just a straight 15-mile radius, and this is the border. One step in, you can make the deal. One step out, you can't. It's more complicated than that. If the deal should have taken place earlier, if the Chaber wanted to buy, so he should have done it earlier and bought it before they got to Modin. If he waited, then it's too late. He can't buy, even though they're together in Modin. Says Rashi, all the more so, if this merchant, who's Namaris, is entering in to Modim, the Chavar Yotze, and the Chavar is leaving, since here, in this case, the Chavar can just walk with the Kader, the Kader is not on his way out, he's on his way in. So if he's interested in buying, the Chavar should walk with the Kader, and even though he's not Maritz, he's going in. So walk with him inward and purchase once he gets to the interior. So culture came in that circumstance. All the more in that circumstance, we don't say you blew it, you missed it. In this case, since you didn't miss it, you didn't blow it, you could have an opportunity. You want to buy. Just walk with him. So they said, so you have to go further in. Tra- retrace your steps. He is going in. Go with him. Even if you're going out, you want to buy these goods, go with him to the interior, towards Jerusalem, and buy there. But buy from Lifnim mi Modi'in. Interior from Modi'in. Right, the Kol Shikin Rashi saying, why is it all the more so? Because in the first case, where he misses the opportunity, so the Chachamim said, strongly, too late, he cannot buy again. He should have bought it when he was on the interior, when they were walking together from the interior through Modim and out towards Eretz Once they hit Modim together, so the Chavar loses his chance to buy these earthenware vessels from this Amaretz in a way that he can trust him, even the Darabana. So Kolshir came when the Kadar is entering in, so he's going the right direction. The Chavar is on the way out, but if he's interested in buying, he has an opportunity to retrace his steps to buy on the inside. Omar Abaye. Afana Nami Tonino. We too have a similar teaching. Akado Shemocha Esakaderos. This Kado Maritz that's selling these pots. Venechnos Lefnim Minabodiim is entering 
inward from Modi'im towards Yerushalayim. Taimo lilifnim mene Modi'im. The reason why it's permitted is because it's to the interior from Modi'im. Ha Modi'im gufa lo The implication is that Modi'im itself, he is not granted the trustworthiness for Echave. Again, Midrabon. Emo Seifa. How do you deal with the conclusion of this teaching? Yaksa Enonamon. If he let, he's no longer to be trusted rabbinically. Ha Modim Gufa That implies that Modin itself is an area where he is believed. That this relaxing of the decree to treat Amai Aretz as untrustworthy regarding matters of ritual purity, it sounds like. From this part, the seifa, the conclusion of this teaching, is that Modin itself is included in the leniency. Alalav rather resolve it. Kan the Here is the case where the kader is leaving, and meaning going outside of Modim, away from Jerusalem. The and the chaver is entering in to Modim towards Jerusalem. Kan yotzim and here, so that's the case where there's the leniency, and here, where's the stringency, when both are leaving Modi'in or both are entering into Modi'in. Shmamina. So just as we taught, that Modi'in is not a simple border, but it depends on what the direction of travel is. So to this Brisa, which has this implication that is conflicting, is resolved in a similar manner. Modi'in is sometimes an area where this leniency is applicable, and sometimes not. Let's continue the Gemara. Tana. Ne'emonim b'klicheres hadakin l'kodesh. Mustah. There is a trustworthiness. Those who are ignorant are trusted with for klicheres hadakin, for these fine earthenware vessels, for the purposes of kodesh. Kodesh meaning... Rashi says, This is in the Tosefta Tabraisa, is qualifying the degree of trustworthiness that the Rabbanon gave to these Amayarets for Cheres Hadakin. Cheres Hadakin are these fine earthenware vessels that people cannot do without. And there they believe them even for Kodesh. This is in light of the fact that for these type of fine earthenware vessels, there's a great demand. People need them. As we explained earlier. But thick earthenware vessels, like the barrels for wine, Amphora, whatever it would be. They're not believed. Unless they're actually in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, then, even the large, coarse earthenware vessels are subject to this relaxed stance that the Chavirim are allowed to purchase and trust Amearetz that these vessels are pure. I heard a different way, Rashi says. I'm not sure about it. 
that when the, the neck of the bottle is narrow, so the finger of the Amaretz cannot really enter into the, the main area of the interior of this vessel. And we are lenient to treat them as pure even if they are filled with liquids that are impure. So this idea that there should be a difference of whether the earthenware vessel dakin or gasin has to do with the nature of the neck of the bottle, Rashi says he's not so comfortable with that idea even though he heard it, because, in fact, this halacha, as we'll see in the continuation of the Gemara, is not dependent on the status of the interior, of, of the contents of the vessel. So therefore, the idea of dakin versus gasin, whether they're fine earthenware or large earthenware, coarse earthenware, that, that doesn't uh, seem to be dependent on the, the shape or size of the, the neck. It doesn't matter, because we don't care whether the contents are pure or impure, the vessel is a separate consideration, which is surprising. Normally we wouldn't say that, but again, this is a unique rabbinic construct that is very focused on the, the limited cases necessary to ensure people's needs are being met. So they would be lenient on the vessel itself, because that's what's needed, and not the contents. Rishlokish says, This idea that the Brisa says, These fine earthenware vessels are subject to a relaxing of the rabbinic decree, restricting believability to Chaverim. That is, is limited not only to fine earthenware, but Rishlokish says even another restriction has to be taken with one hand, meaning he's, he's giving a, another angle on what it means, fine earthenware. It has to be something that can be held with one hand. A person needs to wrap their hands around it to carry it. It's too big. And those vessels are not subject to the same leniency. That's Rishlokish's opinion. Rishlokish is more lenient. He says, no, this leniency extends even to the earthenware vessels that are being sold by Akada, who's Namaretz, the Chaver can believe him, even if they can be taken with two hands, not one hand. Even if you don't, you're not able to hold it with one hand. Rish Lakish said another restriction, that this leniency only applies for empty earthenware vessels. But if they're filled, then not. Even if they are filled. Even if his, his garment is within the vessel, that normally is Metamatumus Medris, nonetheless, Rabbi Yochanan says, the garment is ritually impure, the contents of the vessel, if it's liquid, is ritually impure. As Rashi said, Malim Mashkent Man. Just the vessel is considered pure when the Amaaretz presents it to the Chavar as pure. 
in light of the shortage of available vessels of cheres, of earthenware, to be purchased within Yerushalayim. The Omar Rava. Rava said, Moder Yochanan Bimashkin Atzma, Shaint Man. Yochanan agrees that the liquids themselves are Tmein. Yochanan doesn't argue about that. He says the decree is applicable, the regular Xera, to treat the liquids that the Amaretz is presenting as ritually impure. That is not a subject of debate. Valtitma, don't be shocked about this, because it is kind of shocking. Do you believe the guy? So why are you saying that the earthenware vessel is pure and the liquids are impure? That should, by definition, make the vessel impure. Sharei, Logan, Mole, Mashkin, where we find another parallel case, that if you have this jug filled with liquids, Logan, Tman, Tumas, Sheva, Mashkin, Teherin. The Rashi says, Al-Titma, Shekol, Kachin. Another example. This is the way that the sages enacted decrees in a way that might seem counterintuitive that you would expect things to be in lockstep that if they decree that there's a status of purity on the vessel so the contents shall also be pure. No. You can see in other cases that the sages made a decree where there's a, a breakdown in the status between the contents of the vessel and the vessel itself. Share. Another case where you have that the status of the, the contents are considered impure, Tumas Shiva even, the, the vessel is considered Tumas Shiva, which means the, the full level of Tumas, of being Tumas Mace, contact with the dead. Obviously, there's no way to be Metahir, this Klecheres that came in contact with the dead. It's considered basically impure. But nonetheless, when it was closed up, so the Mashkin that are in, inside are still pure. So th this decree on the outside, on the vessel, does not extend to the contents. The contents were saved and re remained in a state of purity, even though you would think that they should go together. So that's just a proof supporting this idea that Rabbi Yochanan says, don't be shocked. That is how they operate. When they made a decree, it does not have to be in a way that all fits together in, in a smooth way. They can differentiate between the contents and the vessel and say one is pure and one is impure. Either way. In terms of the identity of this vessel, Afikarsuso, so we have earlier in like cotton Chavbezmet Bez, Egemar is talking about the Chi of Kriya. In general, a person needs to tear Kriya for a relative that they are mourning only on the outer garment. In contrast, the requirement for the expression of mourning for a parent 
is to rip all of them. It's supposed to be till megales libo. However, vatikarsuso enomakeves. But this garment is not required. And Rashi in Kisvayad says, vatikarsuso, suder shalarosh. This is a kerchief on the head, shetolulo al ksepo, that falls down onto his shoulders. Enomakeves doesn't need to be torn. In a tzrich the Ramam has a different interpretation. Hilchus Eva, Tekhes, Alocha Gimel. Avalal Avival Imo Korea Ach Megales Libo. And he says, Ubeget Hazea Hadovok Lubisaro Enma Akev. And his undergarment, like a t shirt, that is directly on his flesh, it's on his skin that is used for sweat, it's considered the, the undergarment that, that absorbs the sweat, he does not need to rip that. All the other garments he needs to rip, but not this undershirt. That goes my monios over here. On Ubegezea. The Chaim Piresh The Aruch also learns that. The Aruch Erech Atikarsin. Oh, the Garsin and Hossam. Apikarsuso, inamakeves, kemashmi rushalmi, ripek, hayakare, amla, apikarsuso, hayalavush, mi bifnim. The Aruch also learns like the Ramam, or I should say the other way, Ramam is like the Aruch, that it means the begadzea, the undergarment, not exactly like Rashi. And the Agosomenus continues, avol, rabuseno, shibitsarfos, hayragil, lomar, so this already is going back to the idea of Rashi, that it's talking about the outer Sudr. It's not the inner garment, but the outer garment. But it's talking about a type of, of kerchief that is for the purpose of Tzniyas. So it's a, a head covering, is what it's mashmo. And as opposed to, this is in contrast with a regular begad elyon, which is not clothing him per se, but it's a begad of kavod. The begad of kavod is what he needs to rip in the sign of mourning, the expression of, of the loss. But a garment that he wears for tzniz, just as an expression of modesty, that is not subject to kriya. In bochi of kriya. So either way, whether Afikarsuso means his outer garment, this head covering that goes to his shoulders, as Rashi says, or as others, the, the French Rabbanim, that's including Rashi, it's widespread. It's not a shaykh to Korea. The Ramam agrees in his interpretation that it's just another type of Begad Sneas. That the Begad, that's Begad Zaya, is not a begad of kavod at all. It's not a garment that presents any honor to the person per se. It's, it's to go with tzniyas. And therefore, the mitzvah of kriya does not apply. Eichshiyya is this type of garment, one way or the other. And by us, the point is this garment 
of an Amaaretz is considered Tameh. It's presumed to be ritually impure. And if he puts it in this earthenware vessel, Rabbi Yochanan is saying, it doesn't matter. The vessel retains its status of purity because the Chachamim did not make a decree even in such a case. They, they did not make the decree to, uh, to treat it as impure in such a case. The leniency of within Yerushalayim and, and beyond, but this, this leniency applies to the vessel, even if the vessel is containing a garment that is considered impure. Let's see the next mission. Hagaboin shenechnusu l'sof habayis. The tax collectors. Rashi says, Yisra shen gaboin l'melech nochri. They're Jewish tax collectors for a non-Jewish king. Ligvos miyad Yisrael to collect from Jews. Gogolius, Masin, Vanonius, a head tax, income tax, property tax. They want the money. And l'chera. And Rashi doesn't say that they are aretz. Perhaps there's a presumption that that is the case. Others say so explicitly. The Meiri says that the Amaratzim, the Spirit Israel says we're talking about Amaratzim. The question is, would that apply to someone who's not an Amaratz? In theory, if a Gabon, let's say, this tax collector, let's say it would be Lazar Bibishimin, right? Is he subject to this din because of his role, his, his job? It's a job that's a dirty job. Would he be swept along with it? Or does it mean Dafka Hagabon Amratzim, which certainly reflects the majority of characters that are involved in this business? Al-Kopanim, so these collectors, tax collectors, Shinechnusu so Chabais, they're entering into a Jewish home, Abachaver, Vechein Haganovim, similarly, thieves, Shehichziru Esakelim, that are returning vessels that they stole, Ne'emonim Lomar Lonaganim. They are believed to say, we did not touch them. They got these earthenware vessels, and in order to render them ritually impure, they need to open them, stick their hands in the inside, in the airspace. That's how earthenware vessels become impure, through the airspace. And if they say, when they return the vessels, they're so sorry, here it is. And by the way, they're pure, they are believed. And in Jerusalem, this believability is applicable to Kodesh, to sacrificial products. And during the festival of pilgrimages, it extends even to Truma, which is interesting because Truma is actually a lower level of sanctity. But nonetheless, we're in the broader context of talking about stringencies of Truma over Kodesh. So this would fit the example. Let's see Rashi on this. Shnechnasu asochabais, labot abuto. They're coming to collect. Chein haganovim, shegonvu plecheres, vechzirum. They stole earthenware vessels and are returning them. Ne'amon and lom are believed to say, shelo nogu lesocho. We did not touch the interior of the vessels. Ulekodesh ne'amonim. And they are believed for sacrificial purposes. Avalola truma, but not for truma, for the truma which has to have the kedusha, the tithes that go to the kohanim. We're talking about the things that have this 
circumstance, Achmer Truma. There's a great astringency of Truma over Kodesh. Kaimo. Those who are collecting these taxes that enter into the house are believed for Taras for the purity of the sin offering and for Kodesh, the highest degree. The al Taras Truma, but nonetheless they're not believed for the purposes of Truma, for the, the tithe that goes to Kahanim. And when it says Chatos, it means the flesh of an offering. Below Eter Chatos. It doesn't mean for the ashes of the Paraduma, which is also Karchatos. As is clear there. Af im doshin Even if they did Tshuva, still they are regularly ensnared in ritual impurity and are not trusted for the proper the, the, the products of Truma. Bushalaim Namonim and Farish Bigmar. I was going to speak about this. So this is what Rashi says. Tosus disagrees. Agaboim Shnichnasu Labais La Kodesh. Bitrumakai. Ula Truma. There's a better gear stuff. Not only for Kodesh, but also for Truma. Vilolachatos, but not for Khatas. Behedetanu to Sefta, Agaboim Shnichnasu Labais, Namon and Lomar, Lonagano al Taras Khatos. Altaras Truma, by Chatos, Havi Kodesh. Yitnami Osam, Velo Efe Chatos, Filo Osu Tshuva, Rav Beno Shimshon. So, the Tosos is, is disagreeing and saying that there is an Amonis in this case also for Truma. The Tosos Yomtev on the Mishnah says that it's Mashma from the Ramam that he agrees with Tosos, not with Rashi, that this Amonis is also for Truma. Let's see the Gemara. Ramini, we have a kasha. Hagaboim shenichnasu l'sochabayis. These tax collectors that are entering into the house, habayis kulotami. The entire house has a status of ritual impurity. Look, kasha. That's not a challenge. This is talking about a case when there's a non-Jew with him. And that is talking about a case when there's no non-Jew with him. Depends on how he's entering into the house. He's breaking in. He's got a, a warrant to go in and collect. He's there with a nochri. It's different than if he goes by himself. Let's see Rashi. Kolobai Skulotame. This teaching that the entire house is ritually impure. Kolobai is Tamein. All the vessels of the house. Shechazoko hagaboim mimash mishimakelem. The presumption is that these collectors, trying to collect the tax, are busy touching all the vessels. If there is a Gentile with him, they are not believed. To say, we did not touch the vessels. They have a mirsus. They're afraid. Because they are going with a team. It's not just this Jewish tax collector working for the non-Jew. He has a non-Jew with him. So he's afraid. If he doesn't do a good job going through all of the vessels, so he's going to be subject to punishment. There's a non-Jew watching him. And therefore, he feels he has 
you got to do a very thorough job. So that's that's what the way Rashi learns what's going on. That is the Mashmos of the Gemara. The Ramam and Rabbi seem to have a different Mahalach. Akoponim, that's the Yishuv. That if, the way, the way we're learning, that the, our, our Girsa, if the Gaboim are going by themselves, so then they're Namonim. They're believed to say, Lonagana, we didn't touch. If they are going with Anokri, so then everything in the house is presumed to be originally impure. As it's taught, actually, it's a, a brisa. If there's a nochri with them, so the tax collector who's Jewish has with him a non-Jewish uh, companion in his job, so then, then he's believed to say, we didn't enter your house. But he's not believed to say we entered but did not touch. If he entered, he touched. And so what if there's a non-Jew with him? How does that change things? So there's a debate between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lozer. One says the fear of the non-Jew is upon him, these tax collectors. Jewish ones, and one says that the fear of the government is upon them. My benai, what's the difference between them? The debate between them will come out if the one who's accompanying them is a non-Jew who is not considered a powerful person. So therefore, if, if he's afraid of the nochri, so this person is not powerful, he's not afraid. But if it's Amos Malchus, he's afraid of the government, so even if the person himself is not considered a powerful person, but if he's afraid of the government, so then the nochri that's not choshev will still be subject to this status of the stringency if he entered into the house with a nochri who's not choshev, still not believed. He's afraid of the malchus. He's afraid of being informed upon. Let's see Rashi. Amos nochri alem pen yanisha beguf of if they're afraid of the guy, so they're afraid of getting either hit or 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 being fined. Emas Malchus, if the fear is of the government, maybe this non-Jew will rat on him, tell the government. So the Mafkamino, Nochri Malchus He's not afraid of this guy, he's not personally going to get involved. So if, if the reason why he's going to be mamashmish kolakelin is because of the nochri who he's afraid of, so this nochri is not choshev, he's not afraid, and then he would be believed. But according to the opinion, it's Amos Malchus, he's afraid of the government, this not choshev nochri could still rat, and he's afraid of the Malchus. Therefore, he's not believed, because he would be mamashmish, he would touch all the vessels. And similarly, the thieves return the vessels. Remini, they're believed. We have a kasha. Haganovim Thieves entering into the house. The only area that's impure is the area that their feet tread upon. So within their path, 
that, that these thieves went within the house, that path, if you can detect where it was, that's where you say the vessels are impure, but whatever seems untouched retains the status of purity. That's a kasha. Amar of Pinchas, Tshuva, the, the reason why they're, they're believed over here is because they did tshuva. So derive, in fact, that is the case, that they're believed specifically because they did tshuva. And that's the mashmos of the Mishnah. That they return the vessels. So if these ganavim return the vessels of their own accord, then they have this believability. They are trusted when they say they also did not stick their hands into them, rendering them impure. Rashi. So the area where they walk, these Ganovim, is ritually impure. Of course, if the area that they walked on is impure, and anything in their path is impure, so whatever vessels that they stole and returned should be ritually impure. So why are we saying that they're believed when they say that it's pure? When they returned, they did teshuva. Since they were returning these vessels, doing the right thing, so you see that they're not liars. They're, they're doing the right thing, so when they say that not only are they returning the vessel, but it's still in a state of purity, they should be believed. And the Ram learns that this applies also to the Gabayim. Not, although the the Memra is specifically talking about the Ganovim that did Shuvah. The Ramam includes the Gabayim. The Gabayim did Shuvah and also believed. Tax collectors. This last part of the Mishnah, when in Yerushalayim, the Nehmonim on sacrificial products, they believed. It was taught that for large earthenware vessels, they're believed for the purposes of Kodesh, for sacrificial purposes. The Kolkach Lama, and why is there such a great leniency? As we saw in Rashi earlier, that there's a reality here that in, in light of the other decree that the sages made, in order to ensure the beautification of Jerusalem, they outlawed the running of kilns and the concern that smoke would mar the beauty of the city. So how else are you going to get earthenware vessels? They had to relax the normal restriction and stringency of not trusting the Amel Aretz. So it goes even to the extent of Kleicheres Hagasim, or Kodesh. That's one of the, the special facets of Yerushalayim. They're not allowed to, to make smoke. They're not allowed to burn things in Yerushalayim. Tzarachin, uh, if that's something that applies even Bezmanazeh, uh, it doesn't seem that the minig is that way. I don't know if that's really the case, though. Certainly, I've seen that they there's a lot of smoke on Lag Ba'omer and Yerushalayim. I don't know if it's kedin or not. it's not. There's certainly would not be a heter. There's man chazal. Is there a heter today? I don't know. Mitzad she'enos and kipshamos b'Yerushalayim. B'shas haregel af al and on the pilgrimage, there's an added leniency even for Truma. Where do we know this from? Amma Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Yeshua ben Levi says this added leniency 
on the pilgrimage to trust Amaratsin, those who are normally not believed rabbinically, why are they believed on the pilgrimage? Shabbat Shivan says it's derived from this verse. To Amar Kra, as the verse states in the sad tragedy of Kedegash Begibah, and every man within Israel gathered to the city like one man, friends, of one purpose, Chaveri. So we see that the status of Klai when they gather together, is as Chaveri. The status of Chaveri, of trustworthiness for matters of purity, applies to the entire Jewish people when they gather together. A remarkable thing. Meaning, what do we want from this? You have a nice Pasuk, but this is a Dindarabonim. Dindarabonim is to not believe the Amea Aretz. So who cares that the Dindara, Bukharetz a Dindara, that the Gemara says, Nehemsha, that it is a dentera. It says, Tumas Amaris Beregel Rachmona Tara. We'll see very shortly. It's biblical. The Torah considers the Amaris to be Tahar on the Regal, on the pilgrimage. But so what? What does that have to do with the rabbinic decree? Lachera, we can understand it, Alpi, the idea of the Taz. In Archaim Simon Tafkov Pechas, the Taz describes the Hezber of a unique din. Shokhanach says, Yom Tov Shorosh Hashanah, Shechalis B'Shabbos. Ain token B'Shofar. When Rosh Hashanah and Shabbos coincide, we do not blow the Shofar. The Taz explains, Mishum Shemait Lano Biyado Lelech Eitzobaki Lilmod. There's a rabbinic decree restricting this biblical command lest he go to learn from an expert What's the big concern? That he will carry the shofar in violation of Shabbos because he's so enthused to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar but he'll violate Shabbos by accident. And therefore they made a decree no shofar on Shabbos. Even though the Torah says yes shofar, the rabbis made a decree no shofar on Shabbos. Why not say that there's Xerah also on Yom Tov as he come to prepare the vessels for music? He didn't really come out with anything. In my opinion, it's not a kasha that the sound of the shofar is not really a musical instrument. So it's not a real concern. It's really just used for mitzvah. It's not a regular musical instrument, so therefore there's no need to include it in a restriction even on Yom Tov. And therefore there's no decree even during the week that comes out Yom Tov. Meaning, the cash is, why do we have shofar altogether? It's very nice that they knock it out on Shabbos because they're worried about Chil Shabbos. Why don't they knock it out during the week also? Because people come to make a cliche, the vessels of in- instrumentation of music, and Mizrahi Askash doesn't have an answer, meaning he sees for the same price, no shofar, 
Obviously, that's not the din, doesn't understand why. And the Taz says, that is, there's a reason why. It's not a cliche. Somebody uses it for music. It's an aberration. The primary purpose of a shofar is for mitzvah, and therefore, it's not subject to the decree of Shemitak and Kleshir. Maybe they'll fix up instrumentation. The ode. Very, this is the point of the Taz that we want to focus on, relevant to us. Nira li letaritz. I have another. De ein lohem ligzor velakor legamri vatero shetzivsa likoh biyomazeh. That even though the rabbis have broad latitude to make decrees, b'shevah tase, in a passive manner to even negate a biblical precept or command. Nonetheless, they should not entirely uproot what the Torah said. The Torah said to blow the shofar on this day. So therefore, even though you would think, besides the concern on Shabbos, there's also concern on Yom Tov, but if you don't blow the shofar when it comes out on Shabbos, and you don't blow the shofar when Rosh Hashanah comes out on every Rosh Hashanah's Yom Tov, you're never going to blow the shofar. That they shouldn't do. That's being gozer, b'shev al-tasit, that's okay, legamri, that don't do. B'shev al Shabbos. Lo, just because they make Zer and Shabbos is not a violation of this principle because the other times when Rosh Hashanah comes out not on Shabbos, they will blow on Yom Tov. The sages have the latitude to make a decree, but not to uproot the Torah, and this would be considered to uprooted entirely would be going against the Torah. That's beyond the parameters that the sages have a right to make a decree. And according to this reasoning, it is also good. This is also good why we say that Milo pushes aside Shabbos. Why don't we say the same thing? We're worried about concern that somebody's going to move something on Shabbos, the Tinuk in this case, for Amos, violate Shabbos, is going to transport the baby in Rosh Hashanah to do the Milah. We don't say, therefore, don't do Milah on Shabbos. Even though the Torah says do Milah on Shabbos, we don't make it to Gzera over here. It says, and they said, a Teretz, according to my reasoning, says the Taz, it goes very well. The reboy of the Torah, there's a special drasha to do meal on the eighth day, even on Shabbos. Since this is a specific drasha, they didn't want to totally uproot what the Torah said. The Torah says, do the meal on Shabbos. So they're totally uprooting that if they say, never do meal on Shabbos. Other places, this is the idea that Taz says, famous idea, that the Chachamim, when they make decrees, do not entirely uproot what the Torah says, even when, at times they do, like not to blow shofar on Shabbos, but they leave room where the mitzvah has applicability, even in the Rabbana. So too over here, the Torah recognizes that by the gathering of the Jewish people, they have a status of Chaverim. Even though it's a Pasuk in Shoftim, it's not the Torah itself, but that's, we use Sukkim from, not as a Gilui, 
this is not a, a, a mitzvah per se, but it's the way the Torah looks at something. And they didn't want to uproot this legamri. If they would say, and Amaretz has never believed on the regel, so then they're uprooting this legamri. So if this is a concept, the Torah says, as, as the Gemara says, that it's the Daraisa. Rachmona Tara. The Torah recognizes it as pure. Inoiz Amaretz, when he comes together in the regel, so that the Chachamim don't have the, the latitude to entirely uproot. Okay? But the concept itself, L'charez Tzarech Bir, what is the Daraisa? What is this idea? What's the, the Chashivus of coming together? That there was no mitzvah of Asifa L'chera over there. It wasn't a regel. They were gathering to, together for Mishpat. It was a, a terrible tragedy. Civil war. Terrible losses. But they have the status of Chaveirim. All of Yisrael. Kol Ish Yisrael. When they come together as one man, they have the status of chaverim. And interesting, kish echad, chaverim, like one man, chaverim is lashon rabbin. It's not kish echad chaver, ish echad chaverim. Even the individuals, when they are ba'asifa, are considered like chaverim. When they're gathered together for this united purpose, even the individuals who are amayaretz have a status of chaverim. They upgraded. Trustworthiness. To be believed when they gather together. We find a similar concept in the din of Parhalam Dava. The Pasik says, Bamidbar Tezvav Chavdalit, Bahoya ime ene ha'eda nasisa lishgava. And if it will be that from the eyes of the congregation there is done. Inadvertently, but also call it Eda. And the entire congregation will bring, they, they've transgressed, they will bring Par ben Bakar Echad Laola, Rech Nichach, Adnai, Menchoson Isko, Kemishbat, Serizim Echad Lachatos. The whole procedure of Par Halam Dovar, Mesechta Bad Arius. The idea of Ene Ha'eda is a metaphor, the eyes of the congregation. It refers to Sanhedrin. But it's not just. A metaphor. The idea of Ena and Eda, the eyes of the congregation being Sanhedrin, is tapping into this idea that we're describing in Chagiga. The entire nation has a status as an individual. In the, in the process of Parhelm Dovar, the eyes are an organ of the unit. There's a super-organism going on over here. The Jewish people, as, an, as a super-organism, the eyes of that organism are the Sanhedrin. They gave the hara. They gave the ruling. This is permitted, even though it's pro prohibited. Kare is terrible. They made an error in judgment. And then, the rest of the body of the super-organism violated the Torah based on this hara, on this ruling, an erroneous ruling. The entire organism achieves kapara through the parhalam davar, through the offerings that the Sanhedrin brings. And the individual who actually violated the Torah, he ate the chalet. Yes, it was at the 
based on the ruling of Sanhedrin. So there's a mitigation in his personal culpability. But Misasik Bechlovmarayas is Chayev Shekei Nene, one who even inadvertently is benefiting from Chaylev or Arayas. So he needs to bring atonement for that. He enjoyed it. He got benefit from it. Even if it was unintentional, totally unintentional. And yet the atonement is achieved through the offerings brought by the Ene Ha'eda. These organs of the superorganism, the eyes, the Sanhedrin, they bring the carbon and he gets kapara. In contrast, the, the sugya in the beginning of the first mission of Harius, it's machlokis tanoim, but we pass like a chachamim. And the Rabbanu hold that if an individual follows the Harav Sanhedrin, they said this chaylev is permitted, and he goes needs it, but the rest of the people don't follow. He just as an individual does it, he has to bring his own private chatos, he has to bring his own private sin offering. The ability to achieve kapara in such a case requires him as an individual to bring a personal sin offering. It is not in the function of the superorganism. To have the kapara, the atonement, achieved through the offering of the Sanhedrin, they're the ones who gave the bad ruling. But the people are the ones who ate it or who did the sin. In order for it to have a status of parhelam dover, that the entire tzibur gets kapara through the offerings of the Sanhedrin, it needs to be ruba, the majority of the community, of the, of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, majority of the tribes, majority of the population, all the dinam of how you get to them being ish echad, one superorganism, when you have that superorganism, so then the individuals achieve kapara atonement through the kapara of enia eda. They gave the hara. They can also bring kapara for the yechidim, who are part of that superorganism. If only individuals did the sin, so it's not enough. Then they have to bring their own private kapara. But we see a similar idea of chaveirim, the individual gets a status of ish echad when they are together, when they are functioning together in concert. So over there, it's for ischaibus, for being jointly guilty. The entire nation is guilty through the hara of the Sanhedrin and the actual sin of the tzibor. So the kapara is through the Sanhedrin bringing parhelam dover. It's as one organism. Over here, as one superorganism, so the chaverim, the individuals who, even though they're amaratim, the Torah views them as chaverim. They're upgraded to ish echad, so those individuals have, have a status of chaverim. They are to be believed. Kali Yisrael is to be believed, and when they gather together, they achieve that status of chaverim. So, that's why it is the case that as a unit, there's a heightened status of Naamanus. The Jewish people are believed, and the individuals are part of the Klal when they are the Asifa gathering together, and Aliyah Laregel is an Asifa. So, therefore, the Chachamim did not want to be Gozer to be Oker this Klal. As the Taz says, they, they don't have a schus to be Oker a Klal, to go against what the Torah says. And the Torah says they're believed. When they gather together, they're believed. Let's see the Mishnah. Aposeach es chavito, one who opens up his barrel of wine. 
the maschil beisoso, the one who opens up his dough, begins the dough, al gavaregel. This is in the context of the festival, where, as we said, you have this status that everybody's believed. There's an asifa, everybody's gathered together for the pilgrimage. And now the regal is over, and you have an open barrel of wine, you have remaining dough. Rabbi says you can finish it. It's grandfathered in according to Rabbi Chachamim say no, you may not complete it in a state of Tara. The Chachamim disagree. The Chachamim say that it's a unique moment in time when the Amratzin are believed and the Chachamim, the Dindarbana, was not okay that. But after the regal already, Lemafreya, retroactively, their Negia, their touching, of the wine or of the dough renders it impure once the Jewish people have dispersed. So therefore, lo yigmar. Machlokas, Yehudan Chacham. See Rashi. Poseach chavito, one who opens up his barrel. Chaver, shepazach chavito. So you have a chaver, he's a bentero that opens up his barrel. Limkar yayin Yushalayim, he wants to sell wine in Jerusalem, the regal, on the festival. Achol haba alikach, memashmish, and everybody's coming to buy, is busy touching. He doesn't have a sign at his store. No Amaratzim allowed. He's selling to Amaratzim also. Everybody needs to have wine during the festival. And they're touching. Lo Yigmar. That's the opinion of the Chachamim. After the conclusion of the festival. Even though on the actual festival itself, they're pure. Lo and tara. Not that their purity is really pure. Ella shebaregel hakol chaveri. But rather, on the regel, there's this status. They are all chaverim. There's a super organism that has a status of neamonis. Everybody's upgraded to chaverim. Aval regel. But after the dispersion, and people go back to their individual status, mago tome. Then, the touch of the amaretz is ritually impure. Lemafre even retroactively. As we're going to see in the next Mishnah, that once the regal passes, they're busy being metahir, the vessels of the Azara. Because those who were not meticulous, Amratzim, they touched the vessels in the Azara over the regal. Slightly different girsa in the order of the Mishnah, Rashi has. The time of Mefarish Meseches Beitza, Gimot Varim, Oter Sov Mishum Pchilasam, Zekimokeh, Shimata Omer Lo Yigmar, Afu Lo Yaschil. Rabbi says, in in light of the concern, we want to make sure that people have adequate supplies of wine. And if the Chaver knows, if I open up a barrel to sell, I'm not going to be able to finish it after the regal. He's going to be discouraged from opening it, and there's going to be a supply crunch over the course of the festival. The Ain Mos and Motsui Lolergon and people who are ascending for Alila Regal for the pilgrimage are not gonna have enough food available. So therefore Buddha says that even though he fundamentally agrees that aside from economic pressures or practical pressures, the way the Rabana would be goes there is to say that once they disperse, 
than Lamafreya, retroactively, the touch of the Amaretz is now viewed as his individual touch without the upgrade of considering him as a Chaver. Nonetheless, because we don't want to discourage the Chaver from opening up his wine to sell on the festival, over the course of the festival, so they allowed him to continue it as its status over the festival of ritual purity, even after the festival. That's a machlokis, Yehuda and Chachalim. Let's see the Gemara. Yosef, Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcho, Akilo Adur Yitzchak Nafcho. So Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcho were sitting by this uh, curtained area of Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcho, and they were discussing this issue. One of them opened up and asked, what is the status? Are they allowed, the Chavir, who opened up the wine, has this leftover dough? Can he leave it until the upcoming festival? So let's say it was Pesach, he's got matzah, Amaratzim were buying a matzah, touching the matzah, and now the Chavir says, festival's over, I got all this matzah, the Chavir said it's, it's no longer ritually pure, can I save it for Shavuos? And on Shavuos it'll be Tahar again. That's the Shiloh. Amalei Edir, the other one responded, doesn't say who said to whom. Everybody's touching it. And you want to say, leave it to the next festival? I mean, he didn't think that was reasonable. Chachamim said, lo yigmar, meaning finished. Now it's retroactively impure. Amalei, so the one who proposed the idea said, didn't you notice that until this point, they were all touching it, including Amaratzim? So as much as on the festival, everybody's touching it, and it stays pure, maybe when the festival comes back, it goes back to being pure. Good, good, well, that on the festival, the Torah recognizes, the Almerciful recognizes, that the touch of the Amaretz is pure. Ella ahashta tmeya, but now it's impure. Nemo kitanai. So that's their dis- dispute. They're going back and forth about this. Mar says, let us say that it's machlokas tanoi, the tani chado. We have one teaching. That you can leave over this type of produce, the, the open jug or open barrel of wine, or leftover dough, leave it for the next festival. We have a, con- a, a, a different b'risa that seems to say the contrary. Do not leave it over for another festival. So let us say that their machlokas of Rabbi Yitzchok Nafcha and Rabbi Ami is a machlokas tanoim. My love Yehuda. Is it not that the one who taught to leave it over is Rabbi Yehuda? And the one who says not to leave it over is Rabbana. Say that. It's Isra. And let's think about this. Let's evaluate this. Viha, the Bach says. Rabbi Yehuda, Yigma Kama. Wait a second. Rabbi Yehuda is the one who says that they could finish it. If they could finish it, so why are you saying that Rabbi Yehuda is the one who says, Yani Chena, leave it over till the next festival? You're trying to say that Rabbi Yehuda would say, leave it to the next festival. Rabbi Yehuda said, Yigmar. He said, you could finish it. 
So why should you wait till the next festival? That doesn't make sense to say that's Rabbi Yehuda, that you should have to wait. The whole idea of requiring waiting is all within, the question was within Rashida's Rabbana. But Rabbi Yehuda says, Yigmar, so there's no reason to wait, to leave it over till the next festival. Rather, these two brises will say, the one who said, do not leave it over, that's Rabbi Yehuda. And the ones who said you could leave it over till the next festival and then use it again in a state of purity, that's Rabbana. And then if that's the case, what does Rabbi Huda mean? When it says Rabbi Huda says you could be Yigmar, you could finish it. So he says you don't have to. That, not that you're not able to leave it over to the next festival, you don't need to wait to the next festival. And Rebido says, even after the festival and it's chol, and everybody's dispersed, you can still use the remainder of this dough or, or, or this wine in a state of purity. So the maskan of our Gemara seems to be presenting this leniency, but but that's not how the Raman Paskins. Raman is not Mekal. Ramam is stringent, he goes with the first way, and he passes like the Chachamim, Lo Yigmar. And he doesn't give any heter of leaning it over to the next dragon. So the Meiri points out that the Ramam is just learning that this is a, a Dichui, but that's not uh, not actually La Locha, even though the conclusion of our Gemara would seem to be lenient. That the Rabbanan are the ones who say, that they have this Eitzah to leave it to the next festival. The Rabbeinu Hananel says, Quotes the Gemara like we have, and then he says, "You shall me, Rabbi Chanina, b'shem Rabbi Yochanan, he tiru sof mishum tchiloson shimat omer lo yigmar af hu eno poseach nimtzam mat b'simchos regal." It would appear that Rabbi Yochanan does conclude leniently that one does have this hetter, and the concern of the mamat b'simchos regal is is a significant factor. This idea is Zulchera saying even more leniently, not only in the Chachamim that you have a Heter to leave it to the next Rego, but even that he's passing like Rabbi Yehuda, that's the Mashmos of how he understands the Yushalmi, which is unusual, Rabbi Yehuda against the Chachamim, still to say that there's an overriding concern of being Mamayat Pesimcha Rego, limiting the rejoicing of the festival, people don't have wine. That is the Mashmos of Rabbi Yehuda, not like the Ramah, who has no Eterium. Not Yigmar, and not Yenichenu L'Regalache, to leave it over to the next festival. No coolers in the Ramah. Let's see the next Mishnah. Misha'ova Regal, Mavir Al Tarasazar, at the conclusion of the festival, so they purify, they take out the vessels from the Azara and the Mikdash, and they purify them. Rashi says, Mavir and Es Hakelim Mimakoma, they take the vessels of the sanctuary from their place, Lihatilon, is a better girsa. Latar es hazara, mitumas amearets, and purify the arzara from the impurity of those who are ignorant and are not typically meticulous in ritual purity. Shinogubahan beregal, they touch the vessels over the course of the festival. Shafti shasamakas of chaverim beregal, even though the Torah recognizes them as chaverim, as having this higher standard, being meticulous and trusted on the regal, over the pilgrimage, when they're gathered together, 
not because they are personally pure. Meaning, this is siyua for this idea. It's not that they personally are in a better position. It's because they're part of this superorganism through the asifa that they become ke'ishachot. Therefore, after the rega, when they disperse, their touch retroactively is now viewed as impure. And therefore, they needed to be from the kalim that were touched from Ramaratzim over the course of the festival. And that's how the Raman Paskins. Now, the Mishnah has qualifications on this, which surprisingly the Raman doesn't bring. Let's see the qualifications. If the festival concluded on a Friday, then, because of the needs of the Kohanim to take care of Shabbos, they would not engage in this whole cleanup to do the ritual purification of all the vessels inside the Azara because they need to take care of Shabbos. So they would push it off. Even if it was Thursday, Rebuto says even more leniently, as we saw Rebuto in the past was also more lenient, giving a greater leniency. In the previous Mishnah, saying Nigmar, who then over here also, he's more lenient, he says even on Thursday, they could push off purification, but he does say there's a purification. He doesn't deny that. He just says they could push it off. Because the Kohanim are not available. Tano, says the Gemara, what are they not available for on Thursday, when the festival concluded earlier, not just on Friday, but on Thursday? Milhotzi Dedeshen. They're busy with taking out the Deshen. There's a lot of ash from all of the offerings of the festival. Huge cleanup job. And the Kohanim are busy with that. So if, if that's the, the job of Thursday, if it finished Wednesday, and now they're busy on Thursday with getting, getting rid of all of the, the ash from the offerings, so they're not going to have an opportunity Thursday to clean, to, to purify the vessels. Friday, also, they're busy with getting ready for Shabbos. So push it off till the next week. Let's see Rashi. Each individual coin needs to take care of his needs for Shabbos. So Friday is not a good day. Rebido says, even not Thursday. If the festival concluded by Wednesday night, beginning of Thursday, so then they have to wait they are allowed to wait, and they did wait until after Shabbos, till the next week. Because of the needs, because the Kohanim are not available, after Yom Tov goes out, they're not available to be They're busy removing all the ash that gathered in the, beginning, in the center of the altar. Shekitsu Sham Koyimosarego that gathered up over the course of the festival. Koldeshen Shamaracha. So all of the accumulated ash is a big deal, and therefore they have an extra day that they're busy, and they have to push off cleaning the purification of the vessels until the next week. Next Mishnah. Ketzad Mavirin Altarasazara. How do they go about this process? Purifying Azara. They would immerse the vessels that were in the temple. And they would say to the people, 
be careful not to touch the table of the showbread. That they would warn people not to touch. We'll see which people. But Tanim, Merchaverim, are warning people not to touch the Shulchan. Kol HaKelim, Shaiba Mikdash, Yeshalem Shnim Shlishim. All the vessels of the Mikdash have copies, second and third copy. Shim Nitmu, Harishonim Yavo, Shnim Tachten. That if the first one of these vessels became impure, you have a second or third vessel in their stead to be immediately available for the purposes of the vessel being in its place. And that's to ensure Tara. The Me'iri brings down, as we see, the Shulchan is unique. They were being warned, don't touch the Shulchan. Me'iri says, Yeishomrim, are those who say that they did not have any extra Shulchanos. There was only one table of showbread, no additional showbread tables. As the Ramam says in Pirish Mishnah, there's a Chumrah that the showbread needs to be with Lechem on it, Tamid. The Lechem upon him has to be Tamid. Therefore, there's no real Eitzah to have an extra table because if you have to take off Lechem upon him, the showbread, from the, the one table that became impure, you're not going to have it Tamid. It's not going to, to be a fulfillment of Tamid. So you, you, if you're trying to, to have a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Tamid, you're not going to be able to do this Eitzah of just bringing a new vessel. So, therefore, just make sure that it never becomes impure. And the implication of that shita that the Meiri brings is that in the event that it did become impure, there'll be some al din And because the mitzvah of the Torah is to keep the showbread on the shulchan tamid, so therefore the chumrah of treating the, the maga of Amaretz as tamid is relaxed in order to mimikam the mitzvah of Tamid, to, to have the showbread on the shulchan perpetually. That, that certainly is the implication if you say they didn't have extras of the shulchan. All of the vessels that were in the mikdash after the festival is over required immersion. Other than two vessels. One is the altar made of gold, and the second one is the altar made from copper. Rabbi says the reason these two are exempt from the need for purification after the festival is because they are considered like the land, the ground itself, not subject to becoming tame through the negia, through the touch of the amaratzin, the, these ignoramuses. Chachamim say there's a different reason. They agree these two vessels. Well, exactly what the Chachamim is saying, the Gemara debates, but the simple reading of the Mishnah is that they agree. And the reason is what they disagree about, that these two vessels are mitzupin, they are plated, and, and that's the reason we have to see in the Hemshech of the, of the Gemara, that's the reason why these two vessels are different and not subject to Tumah, not subject to requiring an immersion after the festival. The, the Ramam says that the tomb over here needs hair of Shemesh. It needs the process of after immersion waiting until night in order to become pure. 
And Maritzchias asks, why should that be? If this is a Tumadur Abanon, why do you need Heref Shemesh? And Lachar, it's, it's a good Kasha, but Lachar Hadin Imo, that the Ramam is deriving from the fact that they had extra sets of vessels, two and three sets. The fact that they needed to do that is an indication that he is correct, that there's a need for Heref Shemesh. Because if there would be no need for Heref Shemesh, just immediately dip and then restore, and you're back in business, so then why would you need to have all these extra sets? The fact that you need extra sets is mashma that the way this tumult works is requiring Heref Shemesh before it becomes fully tahar. Despite the fact that Lachar is Let's see the Gemara. Oh, before the Gemara. Let's see Rashi. The bottom of Chavag Munalav. The Omrim Lahem, Kohanim, Lame Aris Berega. Who is talking to whom? The Kohanim are talking to the Ame Aris, the regular simple folk, not learned, on the festival. Warning them not to touch the shulchan. He's horror shelo tigav shulchan, shelo yuchlo ladvilo laacharega, because they're not able to immerse it after the festival. She actually salkum and koma. You can't move it from its place. Tersibe lechem ponim lefanetonim. The Torah says that the showbread must be on the table perpetually. So therefore, they've got to make sure on the regal to keep it away from the touch of amratzim. Continuing Rashi. Tu'unin tefillah requires immersion. Nay, tumas Because of the impurities, retroactively, that are incurred from the touch of Amaretz over the course of the festival, the pilgrimage. With the exceptions of the altars, both of gold and copper. Because, Rabbi Yezra said, they are like the land, the ground. Because of Korah, Mizbech Because the Torah calls it the altar of earth. And it is the shulchan that they were described that they are not allowed to touch it. Chachamim said that the exceptions of Mizdeach, both Hazav and Achoshis, is because it's like Adama. The Gemara doesn't explain, Rashi says, what this part means. What are the Chachamim saying? Tosa says, Shlotigo b'shulchan. Who is being warned not to touch the shulchan, this table of the showbread? The kohanim, who are amearetz, they're coming to do service on the festival, the pilgrimage. So they're being warned by the other kohanim, who are chaverim, don't touch the shulchan. Because if it would be referring to the regular Jews, they can't get so close. They can't even go by the between the ulam and the mizbeach, let alone to where the the shulchan is, where the showbread is. They can't get that far, so there's no need to warn them not to touch. They just can't be there. But the kohanim amratzim, they could be there. Therefore, the kohanim amratzim have to be warned. Rashi. That's where Rashi learns. The Ramam learns not that way. The Ramam learns that. The warning is to the Ame Aretz, not just to the Ame Aratzim of the Kohanim, but to the Ame Aretz. And Lachara, this it re- revolves around a debate, as we'll see in the Hemshech. It revolves around a debate of how were the people showed the Shulchan. 
was it showed in a manner that they could touch it or just lift it up they could see it. So that, that's a debate. This machlokis of who is being warned not to touch it depends on that debate. If it's only being lifted but at, from afar, then the only ones who need to be warned are the kohanim who are And if it was actually brought to the area where the Yisraelim who are could touch it, so then the warning is on them. Machlokis are shown. Let's see the Gemara. Tana. Zara Shema Tigu Bashulchan over Menera. Amishna said that the Kahanim who were Chaverim would warn, as we saw Machlokas, either the Kahanim of Amratzim or, according to the Ramam, the Israelim of Amratzim, not to touch the Shulchan, even though on the regal itself, it's tahar, but after the regal, it cannot be mitar the shulchan. We have another teaching that includes in this warning the minara. The tana didon my tama lo tana minara. And according to our tana, bar mishnah, that does not include a warning for the minara. What's the reasoning? Shulchan ksibe tomid. The shulchan has a special consideration. Of Tommy. You have to have the Shulchan with the showbread on it perpetually. Menorah looks but there's no requirement for the menorah to be in place perpetually. And according to the Brysa, that does include the warning for the menorah. Since the verse writes concerning the menorah, Nocha hasholchan that it's corresponding to the sholchan, command of sivatam It is like, as though it was written, tamid. The, the sholchan's location is put in context of the sholchan. The, the menorah's location is put in context of the sholchan, so it's as though the menorah also has a requirement of being there tamid. According to this opinion, not in our mission. And according to our Mishnah, it's not meant to include the requirement of Tamid for the Menorah. It doesn't have to be there perpetually, but rather just to give us a clear identification of the precise location of the Menorah that is meant to be corresponding precisely to the Shulchan, but not that it has the same requirements of being there perpetually. Why don't we derive this from the fact that the shulchan is an earthenware vessel, uh, is, is a, a wooden vessel that's made to be standing, made not to be carrying things in transport. Rashi says, typically, the inami why don't we say that even if they would touch the Shulchan, it would not render it impure? Since the Shulchan is a wooden vessel, and it's meant to be stable in its place, not to carry things, it's not meant to schlep around the showbread, so that is a type of wooden vessel that is not subject 
to ritual impurity. My timer, what's the reasoning? Don't be the sack. It's like sack, like a, a garment made out of goat hair. That's the requirement for tuma. that the requirement of sack is how we derive the requirement of a wooden vessel. Ma sack metalta just as sack, this type of vessel made out of goat hair, is moved full and empty. So too the other things in the verse to be subject to tuma, including kli eight vessels made out of wood, they have to be movable both when they're filled and when they're empty. So they not only empty but also filled. So the Gemara answers, the shulchan, this table that holds the showbread, lechem upon him, is, although it's a kli'etz, it is a vessel that is moving when it's full and empty, not just standing in place. Kiddur shlokish, in accordance at, with what was taught by Rishlokish, dom Rishlokish, ma'i d'chsi, that which is written, al ha-shulchan ha-tahar, on the pure table, Mechlal Shutami. The verse describes the table as pure, implying that it is subject to being impure. Vamai, Kli'etz, also the Nachasu. Again, repeating this question, so Rishlokish is teaching us that although it is a wooden vessel, that is predominantly used just to stand in its place, not for transport. So therefore it should be exempt from contracting ritual impurity. Rather, this teaches us that the procedure on the pilgrimages was for the Kohanim to lift up the table with the showbread on it, and present it to show it to the pilgrims, those who ascended on these festivals. The Omram Lehem, they would declare to them, See how dear you are to Hamokum to God. The way that these breads go off is the way they're put on the showbread, uh, on the table. The Omram Yeshua ben Levi, There was a great miracle with the procedure of the showbread, the way it was placed on was the way it was taken off. As the verse states, to place hot bread, on the day it's taken. So on the day it's taken, it's still hot, just like on the day that it was put on, even though it's a week later. So now that we've established that although it's a kli, it's kli, it's, it's a vessel made out of wood, the table. So you would think that since it's just meant to hold the bread in place, it should not be subject to tumah, and therefore there should be no problem. No, since they would lift up the table with the showbread to show people on the regal, it has a status of a vessel that is meant to carry full. Therefore it's like sack, and it has the stringency that it is subject to Kabbalah's Tumah, it can be commercial and pure. Therefore, the Kohanim needed to warn others who are not Chaverim to avoid touching the Shulchan on the regal.
And why don't we learn it from Tsipui? See Rashi. Why do we need to come on to this? This teaching of Rish Lakish to derive that the Shulchan, this table, is subject to contracting ritual impurity. Why don't we say that there's another reason why it should be subject to contracting ritual impurity? Because it is plated. Vatnan, as is taught, Ashulchan v'hadovki shenevchasu o shechikon b'shayish these vessels, a table, or Rashi says, Dolfaki, Kise, a chair, a miskapa that folds, Mechusa, and it's covered with leather, or that the, back in the, in the Gemara, that, that it has a part missing, or is covered over with marble, the Shiaben, Mokum, and Kosos, but the entire vessel is not covered over with this marble or leather. And there's a place to set one's cups. Tame. It's subject to ritual impurity. Buddha says there needs to be a place to set down portions. Rashi says, Portions of bread and meat. If it doesn't have an area to set on it, Portions of bread and meat, it doesn't have a status of a table. We see from this that the covering negates it, even to be lenient. All the more so to be stringent. So, therefore, that is talking about covering it with shayish, with marble, which is not subject to Kabbalah's Tumah. But here we're talking about a plating of the table. With gold. And gold is a metal that is subject to Kabbalah's tumba, can contract ritual impurity. So, therefore, we're asking why don't you say that the Shulchan can become Tame, even if you would not lift it up with the Lechem upon him, with the showbread, to show the pilgrims, rendering it like sack. Even without that, even if it would stay put, it would only have the Lechem upon him on it in its place never lift it up. Still, it should become subject to, to Kabbalah's Tumah because it's plated with gold. And the plating is Kavea, Luchomra, that it has a status, not of a, a vessel made of wood, but a vessel made of gold. Therefore, you shouldn't be able to derive Rosh Lakish's Limud. Why is it called Shulchan Atar? It's pure because it needs to be pure. A gold vessel, or a, plate, a vessel of wood that's plated with gold has a status of gold and could become Tommy. The Torah has to tell us it's pure. And if you say that this wood is special, the wood of the table is special, the Lobatli, that's why it's not negated, and that's why the plating of gold is not substantial. This goes well according to Shlokish. Rashi says, It's a cheap type of wood. So that cheap type of wood is where you'll say, we don't consider 
the wood. But fancy wood, it's not going to be negated. So the shaper, that goes well. This idea that we're saying that the wood will override, if it's a special wood, like the Aseshitim of the Shulchan, override and give the status of wood over the vessel instead of the plating of gold. That goes well according to Rishlokish. According to Yohanan, it says even a fancy wood. The plating overwhelms the inner core of the vessel and determines the status of the vessel. So even if it's a fancy wood, and that's a shitim, let's say, is a fancy wood, the acacia wood that was used for the vessels in the Mishkan and, and Mikdash, nonetheless, the golden plating will determine the status of the vessel, and therefore, it's subject to Kabbalah it can contract ritual impurity. Mike Lamema, what are you going to say? And if you'll suggest that it depends on the type of plating, Rashi says, Tzipui Omed, a covering that stands. It's not fixed strongly with nails. And say that the plating of the table in the Mishkan was not a good, strong plating. If you want to say that, still we have that Rishlokish asked Rabbi Yochanan, whether the plating is strong or weak, whether this plating covers the rim of the table or not, what is the status? Rabbi Yochanan answered to Rishlokish, doesn't matter whether the plating is sturdy or not sturdy. Doesn't matter whether the plating covers the rim of this vessel or not. And therefore, the plating should be kovea, according to Rabbi And we're back to the question. Why do you have to say this, or I guess according to Rabbi Yochanan, how do you know that this is the case? That they lifted up the Shulchan to show the Oli Regalim that that's how you know that it was subject to Kabbalah's Tumah. It should anyway be subject to Kabbalah's Tumah because it's mitzvah, it's plated with gold. Let's see, Tosfus. Kli eitz nachas. We said in this discussion of a wooden vessel in order to be subject to contracting ritual impurity if it's meant to carry something while it's in a, in a stable position not in transit it's not subject to Kabbalah's Tumah it needs to carry something in movement in order to have that substantial status that this wooden vessel can become Tameh all the years that the Jews were in the desert, by Metatlamosa, they would move around the Shulchan. 
And if so, the table was not considered something that was carrying the bread in a stable position. Why do we need a proof from the verse that the table was pure, implying, implying that it could become ritually impure? What's the need for that verse? It anyway is obvious that it could become impure because in transit, in the Mishkan, in the years in the desert, they obviously moved it around. The Tirith, the Lo Itzrich Kra, and Rabbi Nachman answered that the verse is only necessary. Rak Lenova Givon Vishilo Beisolomim. The verse is actually only necessary for the iterations of the Mishkan the Temple, where it was permanent and not in transit. Shelohaisa Mitotelis. They wouldn't move it around. So if the table is not moved around, so then maybe it's not subject to Kabbalah's Tumah. So the Pasuk Hatahar. Ashokhanatar is necessary for those locations. But in a Hanami, it's true. In the midbar, you don't need a pasuk. And we derive from the verse that they would lift it up. And it does not seem reasonable to say that since it used to be moved around carrying the showbread, the table in the Mishkan, in the desert, used to be moved around while carrying the showbread. Af nami, that the same status should apply when the table is brought to the temple in permanence. That it doesn't come out the the first status of Kabbalah's tumma. Eliyishloma rather is to say, that the original movement of the 40 years in the desert, Kivan, the low heights of the totalis, Levado, since they wouldn't move it by itself, Ki'im, Bahadishakhelim, other than with the other vessels. So since it's always moved in transit with everything else, therefore it's not considered moving. It doesn't have a chashivus of a wooden vessel that moves. It's considered a wooden vessel that does not move carrying something in it because it only moves together with everything else. It's not an independent chashivus of the vessel. That's why we we don't learn that there's any shift between the midbar and and beisolamim. Rather, the movement in the the midbar does not have the chashivus of tiltul, a kliyeth, the movement of a of a wooden vessel with something in it, the showbread, because it's always moved with the other kalim in tandem. Siluko kisiduro, the taking away of the showbread. Was like setting it on the table. Lain in Shayarach in the idea that it was soft, fresh bread. And that the verse says that it, this bread was hot on the day that it was taken out. Doesn't mean it's precisely. It wasn't really actually hot. There is an opinion in Menachos, I came to Shehi nefis mer Shabbos was baked on Friday. V'yevsher sheish marachom am Shabbos, and it's not possible for it to stay warm until Shabbos. Im lo shenem alad barav nishavatana lishmarachomo ad Shabbos baboke. So there is such an opinion that it actually wasn't hot, hot, but it means that it was soft. It didn't become uh, dry. So without any preservatives, it didn't become stale. Not necessarily that it was actually hot.
Continuing in the Gemara. Ela shani shulchan. Rather, the table is different. Taf of Chavzayin Amenal. Derechmona The table is different because the Torah, here in the Pasek, Yechezko, Yechezko Novi, calls the shulchan made out of wood. So even though Rabbi Yochanan says normally a vessel made out of wood that is plated with metal, or in this case gold, typically should achieve the status of the plating, and therefore it should be makabal tumah because of that. Here the Torah identifies the shulchan as eights, as made out of wood. So the Torah gives a chashivas to the wood, even though normally we say, Rabbi Yochanan holds even a chash of a wood, a substantial fancy type of wood, is nullified in the face of metal or golden plating, in this case, of the shulchan, of the table, that is not true. The Torah identifies the vessel as wooden, and therefore the tzipui is insignificant, the plating in the eyes of the Torah is not significant. What's this verse? Tirsiv. Hamezbeach eats the altar of wood. Shalosh amos gavoa, three amos is its height. V'arko shtan amos mitzosav lo v'arko tirosav eats. So we have the various dimensions of this, and it's called at the end of the verse the table that is before God. The beginning of the verse said that it was the altar. Both times it says it's wood, but it is unusual that this verse describes one vessel in the beginning as an altar and the conclusion as a table. Rabbi Yochanan Rishlokish, both of them, Rabbi Yochanan Rishlokish, explained what is the significance of this shift. We're talking about the same vessel. At the time when the temple stands, the altar would atone for a person. And now, the table of a person brings him atonement. Rashi writes, by virtue of the fact that he sustains guests at his table, he achieves atonement after we don't have an altar in the temple. Nonetheless, a person can achieve similar atonement by Achnasus Rashi says, Atosfus says, Great is the force, the power of sustaining, of giving to, to eat and to drink. As the says, it's a tremendous thing supporting those who are traveling. We find Micha, for all the terrible things he did, had a tremendous schus because of Achnasus that he did. So there's a kapara, a kapara that's achieved even without the Mizbeach. On the Pasuk, in Yecheskel, the Radak says, Mizbeach eats, Ze Mizbeach eina dome, lo Mizbeach sha'asemosha. This Mizbeach, this altar mentioned, which our Gemara identified as the table, it's not similar in measurement to the altar that was created by Moshe, neither to the dimensions of the altar created by Shlomo, also not by Shani. This, these dimensions are unique. Perhaps we are discussing over here the golden altar that was made by Moshe, and that's the internal altar. And 
at the conclusion of the verse, it's called the table. This golden altar is called the table. Basically the exact opposite of what Agamemnon says. That it's describing the shulchan as made out of wood. He's saying, the Radak is saying in Pshat and Pasuk, it's the Mizbech HaZahav, which is the Mizbech, not the Shulchan to put on the showbread, but rather, rather the Mizbech HaZahav, where the incense was put, and Dam on Yom Kippur was put as well, uh, the blood of the, the sprinkling of the blood on Yom Kippur, but basically is describing the golden altar. The Yonasan Tegam Lekabel Madbacha Patura Da'a. Tagnosan learns, like Agamara, that the Pasuk is talking about the Mizbeach that is referring to the table made out of wood. That this Pasuk is describing the table. And why is it called Mizbeach? Because its location is corresponding to the golden altar. So the Shulchan is talking about the Shulchan. Why is the Lashem Mizbeach used? Referring to its location. Midrash, Rabbaseinu, Tuchon, Lebracha, Chagiga, Chavzayin, Amadal. Tazuchon, Mizbeach, Tzim, B'Shulchan. How does the Gemara Darshan, this discrepancy, Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi Eliezer, it says to Amit Avayu, both Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi Eliezer said, Bizman, Shabbat, Mikdash, Kaim, Mizbeach, Mechapeh. At the time when we have a temple, the altar brings atonement, and now the table of a person is a source of atonement. So that is the Gemara that we said. His gear says not exactly ours. Ours is Rabbi Yochan of Lakish. His gear says Rabbi Yochan of Rebbe But he's learning that's a drash. And in Pshat, either it's talking about Mizdeh HaZahav, or it's describing the Shulchan, and the usage of the word Mizdeh is to describe the location. Presumably the uptaich of Mizbeach Mechaper means Mizbeach Hanachoshes. That's the primary source of atonement, is through offerings. Once we're not working on a, on a pshat level, it's a drash, that would be the Pashat pshat, of which Mizbeach is Mechaper, Bizman Amikdosh. The Malbim, he learns also that we're talking about the Mizbeach Hazahav, and he says that it's called wood because it's being shown to Yecheskel before it was plated. Fascinating idea. Mizbeach eats. Reos Mizbeach apnimi shenasa me eats. Yecheskel is shown the inner altar, the golden altar, made of wood. Higam Mizbeach shemosha ayam eats. Mizbeach emosha made also was made from wood. It's supposed to and it was plated with gold. Yecheskel lo and ro sipu yazav b'shem davar. Nechazkel is not shown the plating of gold. He saw it as though it were in construction before it actually was plated. And the Malbim continues. He explains, This is the table that is before God. From the various vessels of the temple, the Cheskel is only showed the Mizbeach, the altar, and he was not shown the table or the menorah, the candelabra. He was only shown things that were negated with the destruction. 
and will be returned, and that is referring to the Mizbeach, the altar. Shirak az Only then will we have a restoration with divine favor being found from righteous offerings. Lo And that's not possible in the time of destruction. But the menorah, this, the symbol of the menorah is actually preserved in the light of God. And there is a preservation of the metaphysical table that's, that is a source of blessing, of sustenance. That comes forth from it. Even till today, after the destruction of the temple, the metaphysical menorah and shulchan still are functional. Even if the physical temple had these vessels destroyed or taken away, as we find in the later Nevi'im, that they, there is a vision of the Menorah. Ochari means Zechariah. Shulchan HaMelech Tomid Hem Ochlim Mitova Yisbo And from the table of the king, they continue to eat. And from his goodness, they, they are satisfied. Therefore, they are not among the vessels that are hidden in the future temple. Because they are standing and functional, as it were, in the metaphysical temple above. And this is informing us that the measure of the table and its dimensions will be like the Mizbeach, like the altar. He also describes that that which this altar is made of wood, not yet covered and plated with gold, and it's not yet fitting to bring upon it the burning incense. Because it is in the place of the table of wood, that has on it the showbread perpetually. So this this idea is describing that the Mizbeach alone was functional at the time of the temple and was negated with its destruction. And that dovetails with what Yochan and Rishlokish have taught us, that Bizman Hamikdash, the Mizbeach is Mechaper. And according to the way Malbin is explaining it, L'chara, he means Mizbech Hazav, because that's what he's describing over here. The Mizbech Hazav is something that was negated, and it was not functional. He's seeing it about to be reintroduced, not yet functional, wooden, not yet with the plating of gold which is necessary to be able to put on it the burning incense. And the, the Shulchan She'ez, HaShelechem, Lefon of Tamid, that is something that continues until this day, that we have a source of atonement from it and a source of derivation of divine blessing through the metaphysical shulchan even after the destruction of the temple and that Yechezka was not shown it was not a revelation of a restoration that we have continued until today.